0: Welcome to Crosstown Conversations. This is your host, Jean Nathan. You know, we work to bring you voices of our region as well as the nation and globe. Um, whether it is cultural, environmental, um, urban or political, we work to help you understand what people are talking about. So here goes. Oh, classy. Um, this has been a bizarre congressional race, I must admit, but all races, have a bizarre quality to them in one way or another, I suppose, but
1: this, in
0: <laughs> but this one in particular, I would say has been kind of bizarre. First, before we talk about the merits of, of anybody in the race, and I, I know that Gambit has um, endorsed, is it Gambit or have you? Which one? Uh, has I, I
1: personally have never endorsed anyone. I do okay. not endorse, never have, and do okay. not expect that I ever will. Certainly not as long as I'm writing a column. I'm one vote out of four on Gambit's editorial endorsement committee.
0: Okay. All right. So it's Gambit that endorsed. But before we get to that, let's let's talk about this race and, and characterize the, what's going on. To me, it has seemed to be, um, first of all, not really on a lot of people's uh, radar screen to, for openers. Um, and then it got... Uh, So, and and neither of the two people have been, I think, tell me I'm wrong, all that really visible, probably people who are paying closer attention to politics are aware, but those of us who, you know, sort of pay attention when it's time to vote um, have not been terribly aware of either of the candidates and their activities. the first spot that came out from Troy made a good case for what he's gotten done. Um, and then, um, it, it started turning nasty of course. And, and a lot of the nastiness initially, it seemed to me was coming from, um, Karen Carter's campaign. And then of course it's been a back and forth. You give me your perspective on, on how this race has been going and, and, and where you think we are right now.
1: Well, I- Um, Let me go back to the primary just briefly. And by the way, let's refer to her as Karen Peterson to avoid uh, confusion between Carter and Carter Peterson. So it's Karen Peterson and and Troy Carter, and they're not related. Right. Uh, The Race has actually been unfolding on two different levels. And I wrote about this in a column back in the primary. Peterson is running kind of a national campaign. Most of her money comes from national sources outside Louisiana. Uh, that's not a criticism it's just a statement of fact. Um, In fact she called me early on when she right after Cedric Richmond announced that he was not going to run and she said I'm in the race I'm going to run I'm going to have lots of national support and she has that support because of her tenure uh, on two, two levels. She was for eight years chairperson of the Louisiana Democratic Party and during that time she was also a national vice chair of the Democratic National Committee. Those two positions gave her a ton of national Democratic contacts. People like Emily's List, the, Prove- the, the Progressive Caucus PAC, and other uh, political players and donors on the national level. Troy Carter has been a city councilman, a state representative, and a state senator. He basically has contacts and donors on the local and perhaps regional level. So if you look at their campaign finance reports, Uh, the vast majority of Troy Carter's contributions come from in the district or in the state of Louisiana. If you look at Peterson's campaign, the vast majority of the money that's being spent on her campaign, probably 80% or more is, especially when you consider the PACs and super PACs, is coming from outside Louisiana. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just a statement of where they draw their strength and where they get their money. Um, and, 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 Peterson has run, that's why I say she has run kind of a national campaign. uh, Whereas uh, Carter has run more of a local campaign talking about issues that uh, local folks and and, and if you look at the support the endorsements that they've gotten, uh, Carter has about three or four times as many endorsements from people in the state of Louisiana. And what was most telling to me when this gets us into the runoff both of them are state senators right now. There are a total of 10 African-American uh, state senators in Louisiana. Of the eight who are not running, all eight of them have endorsed Troy Carter. And that shocks me because you would think that, you know two African-American senators from New Orleans, they would kind of split that up, uh, especially since a uh, couple of the uh, state senators, I believe, uh, Uh, I can only name one, but I think there's probably more than one female African-American state senator, but all of them are endorsing Troy Carter. Not one of them is endorsing Karen Carter Peterson. And I thought, wow, that's kind of telling that that there's something going on there about her relationships with the people who know her and Troy Carter best.
0: Right, and have you actually talked to or interviewed any of those um, legislators? Uh, and seen why they endorsed Troy versus her? Uh,
1: I I spoke with one recently uh, and he, it's uh, uh, Senator Joe Bowie from New Orleans. It was an informal conversation and he just smiled and said, yeah, it, it kind of says a lot. That's all he said. I think it, he was talking about, you know, the fact that uh, it, it's about how, how they get along with their peers, you know. and in, in a kindergarten report card, it was always uh, plays well with others. Well, I think the, the verdict is that Troy plays well with others better than Karen does it, within that sandbox of, of the state Senate. But that's an important sandbox. And, and each of those senators uh, has uh, constituents. And when you look at the list of endorsements that we, that we got, uh, we being Gabbett, we asked each candidate to give us a list of their endorsements. So we took what they gave us. And they all each gave us every single endorsement they had. It was about more than three to one uh, behind Carter. Now you can turn that to your advantage and say, "Oh, he's the insider candidate," and and there's been that, some of that back and forth. Uh, but you know, some t- this election will tell us if endorsements matter on one level.
0: Well, you know that uh, it seems to me historically those endorsements are important um, when there's no other a major factor that's one way or another. And, and sometimes they're unimportant. I mean, it, it's kind of depends on the race. It's, it's, it's tailored to every race, would yeah. you say?
1: Voters vote based upon the information they get. And if the only information they're getting is from the endorsements, then endorsements matter a great deal. If they're getting lots of other information, then of course, mm-hmm. the, then voters can weigh lots of different factors in their decision. So that diminishes somewhat the impact of endorsements, but it also depends on who is endorsing. You know, Karen Karen Peterson has an endorsement from Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams is a hero right now across the country, so that is a big endorsement. Uh, she also has an endorsement from Gary Chambers, who ran third. Uh, Chambers beat Peterson in her own Senate district, and she ran third in her uh, her hometown of New Orleans, uh, behind Peterson and Troy Carter got in the high 40s uh, in New Orleans Parish um, in terms of percentages. And uh, so, Peters uh, Gary Peters' endorsement uh, was extremely important because he he had uh 60 of his vote came from orleans parish and orleans parish is uh somewhere around 40 something percent of the district so he got an and this is in peters is from baton rouge i say gary chambers i'm sorry i'm saying gary peters gary chambers forgive me folks uh gary chambers is a, is a progressive candidate who ran third and he's from baton rouge uh, but he did really well. He got most of his vote in Orleans Parish and most of that vote was white. It was young white progressives. And that's a that's a, that's an important vote. It's, a, it's a, a big part of the vote that elected uh, LaToya Cantrell as mayor. It's a big part of the vote that elected Jason Williams as DA. Interestingly, Jason Williams, the progressive DA is supporting Troy Carter. So that's another thing that this election will tell us. In addition to the value of endorsements, it'll tell us in New Orleans who's got more pull uh, with the progressive vote. Uh, Jason Williams, the, the DA, who used to be our city council member, who actually has a long history of getting progressive uh, ideas put into place. You know, criminal justice reform, he's, he ran on a criminal justice reform platform, for DA, and he's putting that into practice versus Gary Chambers, who's from Baton Rouge, who basically is a creature of social media without social media, Gary Chambers wouldn't exist because uh, he's he's never held office. So he's never delivered on any of these things. He's talked about it and he's a terrific speaker. He's electrifying, but he's never actually gotten anything done. So we'll see if if Chambers or uh, Jason Williams is the one who can deliver the progressive vote in New Orleans and we'll see how much progressives even turn out and turn out. Uh, much. Yeah, more- so this is okay. a really important factor. The turnout, the only thing we can measure turnout on between the primary and the runoff, is uh, the early vote, because that's a hard number. We know how many people voted early in the primary, and we know how many people voted early in the runoff. It dropped off by almost exactly 25 percent. We had about wow. 28,000 voters vote early in the primary, and 21,000 in the runoff. So that means we had a turnout totally in, in the in the primary about eighteen percent. That means we, it could be as, as low as uh, thirteen or fourteen percent in the runoff, which is horrible.
0: And 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 I have to uh, that goes back to my initial statement about um, you know not having a really strong um, uh, sense of, of either one of the um, of the of the two uh, candidates, um, but. Uh, one of the ironies to me is that uh, Stacey Abrams' endorsement of uh, Karen Peterson, um, when uh, I I found myself saying um, after the election in uh, Georgia, after the presidential election, you know, where's our Stacey Stacey Adams? We don't really have one. And um, her endorsement of, of of Karen to me was sort of ironic because I don't feel like Karen has functioned the way Stacy did in Georgia in, here in Louisiana. I mean, I don't, I don't I have think, a sense of I her really, know, moving, motivating the troops.
1: Yeah. So let me say this: I think your initial statement is correct. There is no Stacy Abrams in Louisiana. No man or woman in the black community has galvanized African American voters statewide like Stacey Abrams did in Georgia. Um, I think she's trying to make, or Peterson is trying to make herself into the Stacey Abrams of Louisiana, but her record does not show that. In fact, when she was chair of the Democratic party in Louisiana, the Democrats suffered other than the election of John Bell Edwards, which she tried to talk John Bell Edwards out of running in the middle of the campaign so that uh, a moderate Republican could get in. That's all documented in the book about the election. Uh, called Long Shot, written by Tyler Bridges and Jeremy Alfred, and I edited that book. Uh, So she's been almost the anti-Stacey Abrams. Not that she's against Stacey Abrams, but uh, the Democrats suffered their worst defeats uh, in modern history in the legislature uh, and uh, in local elections. The Republicans grew exponentially while Karen Carter-Peterson was chair of the state Democratic Party. That's just a matter of fact, it's, it's mathematics, it's not opinion. Um, so uh, the closest we had have ever had to a Stacey Abrams was 20 years ago, Cleo Fields was that kind of electrifying force in Louisiana. Uh, he's still around, but he's no longer, he doesn't have that kind of sway like he did when he ran for governor. You know, Remember, Stacey Abrams ran for governor and almost won. Cleo Fields ran for governor, didn't almost win, but he became a young electrifying force and was, he was and is a great speaker, but he just doesn't have the pull and, and the impact that he once did. And there is nobody in the state of Louisiana who has that kind of uh, you know, magnetism in the black community.
0: Um, uh, let, let me, uh, we have a limited time and I want to get two questions in before uh, we run out of time. Um, one, I want to um, uh, understand uh, again, uh, the endorsement of Gambit and uh, just want to hear that your perspective on your, uh, the decision to do that. And secondly, um, I want, uh, actually I have two more questions. And the, the second uh, one would be, how do you view um, what kind of a uh, legislator, at, at, in a con- con- Um, congressional legislator, um, either one of them would be sort of comparing that. And then finally, Democratic Party in the state of Louisiana, uh, is there any hope for us um, rising to the kind of dynamics that are happening um in some other places that uh where there is a, a gain in in appreciation of of, of democratic principles uh, to the detriment of the republican party i mean is there any chance that you see anywhere on the horizon that louisiana will actually get a little purple
1: well that's actually three questions and i'll try to get to them as for the as for the gambit endorsement i just have to say the endorsement speaks for itself you can read it on the website and in this week's issue, uh, the, the endorsement committee, which is the publisher, the editor, uh, my wife, who's the former publisher, and me. And you can rest assured, I don't tell my wife what to think or how to vote. Jean, you know Margo, she's a very strong woman. If anything, she tells me what to think. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, we interviewed all the candidates and made our decision. And an endorsement of one candidate is not necessarily a condemnation of another. We simply thought that uh, Troy, was the the best person all around to get in and and make things happen for the district and i'll leave it at that but you can okay. read the endorsement which is in this week's print edition is also online um okay. and your second question about how will they be i think uh, again carter peterson if she wins the race i think she'll be uh someone who uh talks about things on the national stage i think you'll see her in front of the cameras more than you would see troy I think Troy would be somebody who's diving into the committee work. I think he'd be better at constituent services. It's just how each of them is wired. I think he'll be someone who's more in touch with the locals and and dealing with their issues and working to, uh, I think he'll have a closer relationship with the president because of his endorsement by Cedric Richmond and his long relationship and friendship with Cedric Richmond, who works in the White House. Um, Cedric Richmond, of course, is the former Congressman. Uh, but I think Peterson will be, uh, I think she'll, she'll be or she'll try to be the AOC of Louisiana. Uh, you know, she'll be uh, more outspoken, whereas uh, Carter will be someone more of a nose to the grindstone. Let's see what we can get accomplished. Um, okay. It's just a matter of style. Sure. Uh, one is better than the other because it takes all kinds to make Congress work. Right.
0: All right, so third question oh, third goes party. to the Democratic I, Party in Louisiana. Yeah,
1: Democrats have a tough road to hoe in Louisiana. Louisiana is a very conservative state. It takes somebody like a John Bell Edwards, uh, you know, who's a who's a Democrat, social Democrat, but you know, not so liberal on things like Second Amendment and abortion rights, because those are lightning rod issues and, and uh, litmus test issues with a lot of voters, whether they be Democrats or Republicans. You have a lot of Democrats in Louisiana who are somewhat pro-life and not necessarily pro-choice in the strongest sense. And look, there are various degrees of pro-life and, and pro-choice. It doesn't have to be an all or nothing. Uh, Roe versus Wade, if you read the decision, it talks about a trimester test. It's not an all or nothing thing. So, um, uh, it's, it's, uh, so- I just, it's going to take the right kind of leader uh, to, and, and you build a party. Just, you got to look at how the Republicans did it. They didn't come in all at once. They started off at 3% in the 1970s and built that wall one brick at a time. And that's what it takes for the Democrats to do. They gotta start building it at the local level and looking at races they can win and finding candidates who can win.
0: So let me ask you this, um, to what extent will the results of the economic development uh, big plan so to speak of, of the Biden administration um, uh change that equation and um, uh, uh, give some people some percentage of the, the vote that might have gone uh, strictly on those hot button issues uh, a different perspective on on how to choose a candidate based on what they've done to affect the economy, which ultimately should override any of these um, hot button social issues.
1: Well it gets down to messaging and that's the problem. The Republicans, uh, have been far out of messaging than the Democrats. The Democrats have been, look, ex- exhibit A, B, C, D, and E, defund the police. And, you, and when, you, when you throw that at Democrats, they, the people who promote that, they say, well, we don't really mean defund. Well, they don't say defund. You know, <laughs> a right. message has to be simple and it has to be precise. Uh, you know, the, the Democrats are just horrible historically at messaging. They just are. They suck at it.
0: Why? Why?
1: I don't know why, but they suck at it. And Republicans, you, you may not like their message, but they have they they're good at getting a message that resonates with their group. And and the other thing is, you know, Tip O'Neill was right when he said it that all politics are local, but that's not true anymore. The Republicans have nationalized politics so that if you run in Louisiana and in many southern states with a D behind your name, it's poison. Uh, and, and people are saying, "Well, Louisiana has a higher percentage of African Americans in Georgia, in terms of its population and its voter registration." That's true, but what Georgia has that Louisiana doesn't have is a much larger uh, cohort of, of college-educated, moderate white voters in the suburbs. That's what swung it for Stacey Abrams—not just black voters—and that's what swung Georgia in those Senate races. It was moderate. White suburban voters, as well as black voters, it's a coalition, it's not all of one and nobody else, it's a coalition, and that's what swung it in Georgia. That's why Stacey Abrams, uh, probably actually won the Georgia uh, governor's race, but maybe yeah. she'll win it again if they have an honest election and they let everybody vote. Yeah, I'm afraid uh- I have to go. You so.
0: Question as to whether we have honest elections in our future, but we'll save that for the next conversation. Clancy, so much—it's always fascinating to hear your perspective. I learn so much every time. And, uh, I do. wish I was paying more attention on a regular oh, basis. I, but
1: I know that you do. You pay plenty. I got
0: other things. Got other Take things care. I'm working on. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Again, this has um, been such an interesting. Uh, race this congressional race for um, highlighting um, trends that are happening both nationally and locally um, and and uh, I think it was Clancy Dubos who characterized um, Karen as the more national candidate certainly in terms of her base and support of support uh, with Troy being more of the local candidate so um you, you just got you got dynamics happening on both levels and I, it's been very curious to me what's going on and um, uh, I can't say that anything has been totally shocking because in a way um, you know the the kind of ambiguity of the race that we went in with we're still there. I mean it's 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 a kind of it's a tight race um, and it was made tighter uh, uh, by the results of the first but Um, You're the expert. Um, Give me uh, your sort of overview perspective of um, what the politics of this race says to you um, that you will take home in a sense as you continue to work politically in the state.
2: Well, I think it'll be very interesting to see who wins the race on Saturday. I I think um, it has probably tightened up a little bit. I haven't seen any polls, so I'm not privy to that. But my gut just tells me that it's tightened up a little bit only because I see a lot of attack pieces going back and forth between the two campaigns, Um, generally as a rule of thumb. And again, full disclosure, I'm not involved in either campaign, but as a rule of thumb, if you're way ahead, you're not attacking your opponent, you're just moving ahead to victory. Um, But when you're behind, you almost have to attack. You almost don't have an an alternative in order to gain ground. So since we're seeing it come back and forth, um, and, you know, there's also textbook rule of politics that if you get attacked, you have to answer the attack um, or else it will stand. The voters will assume it's true. So you've got that kind of going back and forth. But I think because we've got a very low turnout election predicted for Saturday, and I think I've heard some numbers like maximum of 10 percent turnout. Um, to that effect. That's unbelievably bad. It's unbelievably bad because we have an open congressional seat and, you know, we have a small Louisiana delegation and and this will be the only Democratic member of that delegation. But um, I think the reason for that is that even with all the back and forth and the positioning that the two campaigns are doing, where Karen is sort of trying to position herself as the more progressive, um, Uh national type, Stacey Abrams Mould, ha- who has endorsed her. She's received endorsements of lots of national um, Democratic leaders. I mean, all the way people like Robert Reich, people who have like nothing to do with Louisiana type thing and um, has some support, I think, among the sort of Bernie Sanders type progressives. And Troy Carter's campaign um, has been, I think, you know, um, a more localized support, although he has the support of the um, former incumbent, Cedric Richmond, which he is a national figure. And um, he has interestingly, I think, and this says something, he has all of the um, Orleans delegation state senator uh, support and they're both state senators. So to some extent that says the people that have worked with both of them, overwhelmingly unanimously have chosen to support Troy Carter. Um, So they're different kinds of campaigns, but but overall they're two African-American Democrats Who live in Orleans Parish, who are Louisiana state senators. So the differences between them are shades of difference, you know, more than truly substantive differences. And um, I think because of the similarities, that's also creates a lack of interest. You know, if you're a Republican in the district, do you really care? You know, which African American Democratic, you know, candidate um, holds that seat? And that's one of the things we're going to find out on Saturday whether or not people, chronic voters, people who never miss an election, rain or shine, hurricane or not, they come out to vote. um, They tend to be older um, and they tend to be, uh, it's a lot of, it it skews often a little bit white, you know, not always Republican, Democratic too. And African American women uh, are the mainstay of the Democratic. Party. and we've seen this in elections all over the country as well as in New Orleans. I mean, this is the decade of the African-American woman candidate um, and Karen Carter fits that profile. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't put any money down today um, on it. I, I think um, Troy might have a bit of an edge but probably not substantial. Again, no, I haven't seen any polls, but um, when you have a low turnout election every vote that comes out really has a larger margin of difference than when you have a huge turnout. Because, um, you know, on a down ballot election, people coming out for a governor's race or a presidential race, they'll vote in the other races, but they're not really coming out for that reason. Um, whereas this, if, you're, if you go out and vote on Saturday, April 24th, this is the only thing I think on the ballot. So you're coming out to vote for one of these candidates or you're coming out to vote against one of these candidates? So if this is an election truly where it's all turnout. out. Yeah, yeah,
0: uh, I have no doubt about that. Um, and I, 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 the, the big question is, of course, it's a question of who turns out the vote. And I don't know enough about um, the on the ground operation of either one of them. So I wasn't familiar uh, with, with how that worked in the first. Um, what would you say uh, as to whether each of either of them have uh, marshaled any kind of a serious um, ground operation, so to speak, in terms of get, pulling out, getting out their vote?
2: Well, if they haven't, that, that would be a huge mistake. So I would imagine both campaigns are in the midst of um, going forward with their, what we call the GOTV, get out the vote um, plan. They should both have very um, detailed GOTV plans and they should have identified um, via their demographers and pollsters who their most likely voters are and make sure they get them. For example, in Karen Carter's case, she, Karen Carter Peterson's case, she got Gary Chambers' endorsement, the, the candidate who finished third and and got um, a, a substantial amount of the vote. In fact, she, she wasn't that far ahead of him in percentage, but she has his support. So, you know, that would be a natural place to go, is to identify who were his voters and try to turn them out for her. Um, Troy Carter has, you know, a support amongst a lot of elected officials, local elected officials. They have constituencies, they have call lists, they have text-based lists, you know, if I were working in his campaign and I'm sure they're doing a good job of identifying those people and getting those people out to vote on Saturday. So, you know, it's a it's it, if it's a beautiful day like today, uh, you know, on April day. And one thing they don't have to contend with. I've been in April elections where we had Jazz Fest and um, that's even more challenging.
0: Right. but know. Um,
2: They don't have that. Um, but, you know, I just think, again, because of some of the even though the campaigns are trying to point out the differences, I think the public may overall see a lot of similarities between the two. And that may make them less inclined to, to vote. It's really a shame. I think, you know, both both parties and, and really the whole electorate needs to get more engaged in the importance of voting.
0: Well, that actually leads me to uh, my next question, which isn't so much about um, the two candidates as it is about the two parties in our state and, and the fact that we have in many ways become a one-party state. We've identified, um, self-identified and and, um, observed nationally as a quote state because we have um, a preponderance of Republican voters um, when you come right down to it right now. Um, Why isn't the Democratic Party in a state with such a large black vote uh, stronger? What is um, holding holding this party back. And, um, you know, again, uh, I've just finished uh, the interview with uh, Clancy and, you know, his his feeling is that um, the messaging, Democratic messaging is just not strong enough and the Republicans are kind of eating the Democrats' lunch when it comes to messaging. I mean, you're in a messaging business, so how do you feel about that?
2: Well, I, I, I would have a, a little bit of a different viewpoint. I think that, you know, we're a uh, traditionally and have been a very conservative state, um, but we, we are a red state with a democratic governor. And I know that that may be an anomaly and we may not see that again, or we may, you know, and when you have a democratic candidate like a John Bell Edwards, who um, has very clear messaging about being pro-life and pro-gun and uh, from a family of law enforcement you know and he was running against you know a candidate with a lot of issues a lot of problems um the stars lined up and he was able to win the election and he had the support of many republican i would say many but he had very strong support from it like newell norman at the time who was sheriff of jefferson parish immensely popular elected official and you know people looked to for his opinion um so I think, you know, I don't think you're going to see any statewide elected of Democratic elected officials in the mold of a Karen Carter Peterson here because the state doesn't lean that way. Um, but that Democratic block voting and that African-American, which is a large part of that Democratic block voting, um, can impact for sure who gets in a runoff. Um, so, you know, there, there is a, there is a power block there, but the question is, can you get to the, can you get to the win? And that's problematic because of where we are in terms of GOP messaging. I mean, I think the GOP party, Republican party is in a lot of disarray at the moment. You've got a lot of people who were Trump Republicans, avidly. So still are, I would imagine will continue to be. And then you've got Republicans who were not comfortable with Trump. And, you know, now when people survey Republicans, it doesn't take into a, account the Republicans who have literally left the party because of Trump and become independent voters, if not Democratic voters. I personally know of a number of friends who lifelong Republicans who, after Trump, change their party affiliation, mostly to independent. But nonetheless, <laughs> now, now when you're polling Republicans, you're polling what's left of that. And it tends to be, you know, on the more extreme right wing element. So but you know, we are a conservative state, I believe we will continue to be a conservative state. I think Governor Edwards has done a great job of walking a very fine line. Um, And in the middle of COVID, you know, um, did a great job of protecting the public health and, and not um, being so far to the left that it it just created kind of could have created kind of almost total rebellion against Against what he was doing, I mean, there were some people, and there were people in the legislature, legislature who wanted to um, get rid of him, but um, you know that didn't really go anywhere. But we do have a very conservative legislature, uh, much more so than we have had in recent past, and um, you know you're seeing that now play out just with a, the vaccine effort. Can I let me ask you, do you,
0: do you what effect, if any, do you feel um, the economic development initiatives of the Biden administration might uh, persuade any of the Republican voters who um, have been Republican uh, based on some of the hot button issues So when they see the effects on their bottom line and and let's say not just the relief, initial relief that has come through already, but um, actually uh, if they really do execute some major economic development and infrastructure and, as they say, soft infrastructure initiatives, um, do you see that? loosening uh, up the Republican vote at all, or maybe not so much. It it all
2: depends again, and this is where messaging plays such a large role. Um, You know, if the, if Republicans in Louisiana feel the benefit of the money that's coming in and most of it, I think is coming into New Orleans, but it's, it is coming in statewide um, from the infrastructure, from the America cares act, et cetera. And they benefit from that. People do tend to benefit, uh, do tend to uh, vote their pocketbook. But if the messaging is that, you know um and i've seen this because we're so polarized that the messaging is no matter what good things happen it was the other party that was responsible for it regardless of the facts then you know that may not play such a role but when people are happy and satisfied and feel like um things are better than they were they tend not to want to make a change Um, and so you know that would bode well for any incumbent uh, democratic elected officials but um you know, we will see. I mean, right now the polling nationally is very good for Joe Biden, and um, and the the job he's doing, and that you would naturally think would have some spillover effect. Well, we're in a world where everybody's in their silos, and if you know you're listening to a a Fox News commentator, um, is not going to give or a right wing radio commentator, it's not necessarily going to give credit um, to the administration for that. So. Um, we're no longer in a situation where people live, listen to a lot of multiple sources of news. Yeah. And that, I think, has been one of the worst things that's happened in the country in terms of polarization. Because but- back in the day, we had three networks. We had Walter Cronkite, we had you know, Huntley and Brinkley, we had three networks. And basically, they, they all had the same facts, and we don't have that anymore.
0: Speaking of facts, that was kind of my next uh, question uh, coming right out of what, what you were just saying. Um, I I don't think we could ever have imagined a time when facts counted for less, that um, there could be uh, lies out there, literally just, uh, I I, I guess lies is is a pejorative word, but disinformation, whatever you want to call it, just there's things that have no base in reality, And, and you can't get away from the whole issue of the outcome of the election, of course, being one of them. And there are still people out there, despite everything, who think the election was stolen. What, where, where is the dynamic that is going to uh, bring us back to reality? Is that
2: well, is as long as, that, long as long
0: as a statement or is that, a, you know,
2: well, uh, I don't know. But the, I, I guess what I would say is, as long as elected officials and leaders propagate us uh, stories, like Trump really won the election or whatever, that they know not to be true, because it benefits them in their own political career, we're not gonna get out of this. But if at some point being a, you know, putting forth this disinformation begins to hurt them or their careers, they'll change. But it's it's sadly, you know, um, you have a lot of elected officials out there who um, are basically putting out Messaging that only they think will benefit them with their constituency.
0: A good example of that is John Kennedy, or yeah. even even Garrett Graves. Which absolutely, that's the one that kind of shocks me because Garrett Graves is a kind of a reasonable, intelligent, professional person, and that would would have been the last person I would have thought would have um, perpetuated disinformation. Um, and I and, think you no, know, yeah.
2: even and even even you know, and then there are many very you know reasonable. Uh, Republican elected officials out there trying to, you know, do a good job. They may believe differently than they're more conservative than the Democrats, but, you know, they are certainly reasonable, common sense people. But, um, but sometimes they, they don't necessarily propagate the, 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 the fake news or the false information, but they don't say anything either. Um, And they remain silent and, um, you know, and be viewed as complicity. I know that you you work on both sides of the um of the
0: of the line. I mean that you've represented both Democrats and Republicans. Um, so I assume that you have talked with Republicans and and you have some insight into the thinking of those who quote don't say anything. What's going on there?
2: Well, I think you know I I wouldn't just I wouldn't just um say that's just Republicans. I think that's done in in Democratic Party politics too. In other words, you know people have platforms, they have positions, um, they talk about, um, you know, I, I often advise my clients on both sides of the aisle, not to get involved in national political issues, you know, if you're running for city council, or you're running for parish president, you know, I did Cynthia Lee Shang's campaign, you know, you don't have to get into these, some of these hot button national issues. It's not really relevant to your constituents. Um, so, it's really only the case we have to get into those issues when you're running on a national level, like for Congress. Um, and so, um, you know, like any good political consultant, you advise your clients to do what's in their best interest to win the race and to remain authentic, because that wins. If you try to create a persona that's not really who you are, ultimately, I think that will fail.
0: Mm. So, um I guess the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the question that remains for me in the state of Louisiana, do you see any uh, track, any path, any um, leaning, any trend, anything that would um, pr- build any more flexibility about candidates and, and see the possibility of there being more Democrats uh, being elected I'm not saying you know that you should take a position on whether that's a good thing or bad but do you, do you see um, any kind of trend that says that that we might become a little bit more purple
2: the only thing I can say is you know obviously it's possible because John Bell Edwards did it um, so it's possible but it's it's not likely you know um, now there is a new Democratic Party chair um, Katie Bernhardt from Lafayette who you um, uh, I guess, replace Karen Carter Peterson um, and as chair of the, of the state party. And um, I, I, my understanding is that she's much more in the John Bell Edwards mode, much more moderate, much more about how do we win elections. Not so much about how do we stand on a soapbox and talk about issues that you know that we care about. Because at the end of the day, if you're not in power and you're not in office, you can't actually do anything. So you have to get there first and you have to find ways to get there. And you know, um, as Tip O'Neill said, all elections are local. So we start out locally. and you know, if, if um, you have a, an elected uh, you have a candidate who is a Democrat running in a majority Republican area, um, you know, and they are moderate and real, middle of the road, and most importantly, likable, because still people vote for the candidate that appeals to them. You know, the old, I'd like to as have a be with this person. Yeah, as a person, because yeah. politics is very personal. So the yeah. more personal candidate can win, even if the quote, you know, philosophy maybe doesn't you know, hold exactly to the theology, or the ideology of, of the of the party. Um, I think Julia, it be interesting to see what we see with Julia Letlow, who's, you know, taking her husband's um, spot in Congress, who seems to be uh, willing to not toe the party line 100%. And she's been out talking about getting vaccinated and she lost her husband to COVID. And she's a woman and she's an academic. And, um, you know, so, on both sides of the aisle, you know, you, I, we hope to see people who aren't too extreme um, either way, but it's hard when you get to Congress and you're part of caucus and uh, it's hard to buck that caucus, ask Mary Landrew.
1: Yeah, right.
2: Um, so um, one
0: last question, we uh, are in our show program on WBOK, which is the urban station in the city. And um, I I would have to say that a lot of what you call the super chronic voters, the black women, um, listen to uh, the station. So, um, you know, what words would you have for them on this election?
2: I would say do your homework, look into both candidates, look into there's a lot of information on them. They've been around a long time, both of them. They've served a long time. But most importantly, vote, get out to vote, because we know that around the country, there's movements and in our own legislature to make voting more difficult. And it's not something we can ever take for granted. And a 10% turnout is pathetic. And so I would say to all people, black, white, male, female, whatever, um, it's, a, it's a huge privilege to be able to vote. And even if it's an election, you don't think it's gonna make a whole lot of difference to you. I think it's important to exercise your vote, show up to the polls, um, these candidates are different, you know, they may be similar in many ways, but they are different. So, look into it and, and pick the one that you think best matches your point of view,
0: Karen. Um, Carvin, uh, one of the erudite um, political media uh, folks in, in, in this market, and, and thankfully, um, one who has uh, taken her father's. Um, uh, capabilities forward, and, and he, of course, was one of the very first people I ever met in the city of New Orleans when I first came here uh, years ago. <laughs> Too many to, to say, but I I, I, was, I was crazy about him and, and I loved listening to him and love listening to you, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us on the show today. And I yeah. agree with you, everybody, I'm doing this because I want folks to vote. And um, just reminding you, there is an election coming up this Saturday. And it is really important to to get out there and vote. And since the turnout will not be high, um, you don't have to worry about all these voter suppression issues in terms of, you know, making it difficult for people to stay online. We're not going to have long, long lives. Just get out there and vote, folks. OK, thank you so much, Karen. Uh, we'll check in later. We'll see. All right, James. Thanks for photos. having
2: me. It was a pleasure.
0: All right, so now let's talk about how we are reopening our cultural venues and putting our creative artists back to work. And let's uh, look also to the long-term future and see how we can do a better job of supporting our culture bearers and our creatives so they can build sustainable careers. If they do, we can become the leading global cultural city we should be. We have more talent, more heritage, more innovative art forms than most cities in the world. Um, I think a lot of you know that in addition to doing this show, I head up something called the Creative Alliance of New Orleans or Cano, and we're in the business of trying to boost our creative industries. And Chuck Perkins is a co-chair of Cano, but he's also the founder and owner of Cafe Istanbul. And he's all about growing our culture and proved it big time when two and a half months ago, he was one of the first music venues to reopen, put those musicians back on the stage. He's also a poet spoken word artist, a musician, and has hosted a program on this very station, which I used to listen to, Chuck. Um, one more thing, I wanna just um, mention this before we get started. Um, we're in the middle of a big fundraising drive right now called Give NOLA. Um, it it uh, is on now and it continues through the fourth of the month, um, May 4th, rather. And um, it's, it's really all about raising money for nonprofits and making things a little bit easier. It's been a really tough year. So this is more important than ever. Um, and Cano, Creative Alliance of New Orleans, hopes that you'll consider making a small contribution to us to advance the creative industries. And so um, you, all you have to do is go to um, GiveNOLA and search for Creative Alliance of New Orleans or just plain Cano, C-A-N-O. Alright, so let's get on to this, why this is so important, and first, Chuck, if you just give us a little bit of a taste of um, your talents and 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 how you came to um, open up early. I mean, uh, that's pretty early two and a half months ago. Yep, well, um,
3: I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a trust fund baby. I, I don't, it's not like I have a lot of money, <laughs> so you know, you gotta try to make the thing work. You know, and if you see a, a window, or an opportunity to make some money that allow you to pay like the, the 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 light bill or the insurance or something like that, you gotta you know do what you have to do. You know, so yeah. So we've had a, we've had a few events. I am starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I'm starting to get a lot of um, calls uh, for for future shows, so I'm super excited about that. And um, a lot of
0: events, a- uh, private events with folks, right?
3: I do all kinds of stuff, Gene. I mean, to be to be honest with you, like I, Cafe Istanbul isn't the kind of place we don't survive on grants at all. Like I've never gotten a grant. And so, we, really? you know, so when people call and say, hey, I, I need to I want to have a conference. I want to have a comedy show. I want to have whatever. It's like we could do that. You, you, you know, let's find a date for you and we're going to make it happen. So I try to be flexible, nimble and and, you know, and, you know, and, and, you know, it's, so it still works out for me, but a lot of times there are people who need a certain kind of space. And, and so it works out for them too. What's coming up? Um, well, um, let's see. I have, uh I have some young, some very young musicians who've been doing some stuff on Thursday nights, I'm really excited about that. They, you know, it, it looked like it's the kind of thing that's going to build into something. You know, I, I have uh, uh, some other musicians been getting together on on a Monday and said like uh, the great, like Nicholas Payton came by this last Monday. Yeah. Now he didn't blow the horn, but he he, he did play the piano some. You know, and really? so. And so wow. yeah we, we we don't have we, we we don't have any big acts uh confirmed uh as of as of yet but we the doors are open there are some some of the younger musicians who are coming and hey. starting, to, starting to hone those skills and
0: yeah you know, and, and the younger the musicians in new orleans that's what it's all about i mean oh, you absolutely. know we're we're into uh, the new generations um a lot of the the cats have been out there are doing great. They're still at it. But um I don't really want to know what the young guys are doing. You know, guys and and guys. honestly,
3: that's why I was surprised to see that, that's why I was surprised to see Nicholas, you know. But you you know, he knew, you know, who was who was there, but he, you know, he seemed like he had a pretty good time, you know, you know, um, playing with some of the younger cats. So that was a good thing. I was, wow, it was good to see him in great. there.
0: That's great. So and, what, and um, I, I will say this, Gene. Yeah.
3: You know, so October, in October, we, we they're talking about having Jazz Fest in October. Yeah. And so if that if in fact that does happen, we're gonna have some really big, you know, some exciting things happening then. But I, I got both fingers crossed because I don't yeah. know that any of us are like a hundred percent certain that it's gonna happen.
0: Well, I hope I hope it does. And uh, you keep me um alerted to what you're doing so we can uh, put it on the show and make sure everybody hears about it and put it in the newsletter. We're We're you know, doing. that newsletter we got, that's got about 20,000 people signed up on it now. So you be sure and uh, push your stuff in, you know, okay. uh, and, and anybody out there listening, uh, all you have to do is, um, you know, drop us a line at the creative Alliance, check out our website and, and um, and get uh, yourself signed up to get the uh, newsletter. Um, share with me a little bit of, um, how how the musicians have been talking about what's going on? How you see us coming out of this? And let's talk about you know Cano and 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 um, I got to be honest, I, I'm really on a push. We got to raise some money because we don't have a door actually where we can have people come in and all the time. Most of our venues are, are free, and so um, these contributions from something like Give nola Day uh, that you know culminates on the fourth, it's important to us.
3: You know, um, it's it's a it's an unfortunate thing. With the musicians because I like I heard a guy say in in an interview, he said that they were the first people to be, you know pushed out of work, <laughs> said, okay, we gotta have to close the the bar down. so they were the first, to lose their jobs and like some of the last to be called back to work wow. and you know and so exactly. you know i guess like everyone else you know you gotta be flexible and maybe you got uh like um i saw this guy blake amos a, a guitar player but you know over the pandemic he's been doing uber right so you gotta come up with other ways to try to figure out how to how to, how to make some money
0: Yeah, it's been, uh, it's really been tough. And and, and that it's really, it's a double whammy for the uh, creatives in town because they got their venues closed down Uh, to show their work, uh, perform or exhibit their work at the same time that they lost their hospitality industry day or night jobs. So it's it's really been rough. What, um, how do you feel about what we're trying to do with this, um, you know, we're trying to do this strategic plan to come up with some better ways for us to invest in and support um, uh, the creatives in our city. What's your sense about, um, you know, uh, how this will play out and how important it is?
3: Well, you know, I didn't think that it's critically important because, as you said, you know, New Orleans is a place that has, you know, we when we talk about the amount of creative people we have living in this city, we punch way above our weight class, you know. But um, the one thing that's unfortunately that has been lacking in the city is that we don't have a, the, the infrastructure, um, particularly like the business infrastructure to to support it. And I think an organization like Cano is, you know, constantly out there, you know, sounding the being being a voice and you know trying to um, make our political leaders make the people in city hall aware and know how important the cultural economy is, and and you know know you know how important it is for us as a city to to support because you know I've always had this. Uh, I think that you, because. Because of the history of New Orleans, uh, we we've almost just benefited from like the music and the dance and and all, like I don't know that the city ever actively had to do anything to encourage that. It it it, it happened Everybody, starting yeah.
0: the started, starting with, on, on their own yeah, starting with yeah starting with
3: starting with Congo Square. You know that was yeah. that you know maybe even before, but that's that's where where it started. That and that's how deeply um, ingrained into the city city's DNA um that, that whole creative spirit and force is. And but because the city has never up until now really had to, you know, actively, you know, do something to foster and encourage this, because we haven't done it in the past, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't do more um going forward. Because, you know, there are people who have more options now. And there are other places that people um that that these creative people can go that where they can um, take their instruments and and their and their cameras and and their dance and and all of this other beautiful stuff that helps enrich our lives and if you know we we don't you know actively you know do something to 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 to, to foster it then you know i i'm afraid that we can lose some of that
0: I think that I'm worried actually that we we are losing people. I don't think there's any statistics on it, but I, I, I'm very concerned about it. Even though, um, you know, I can't think of any place I'd rather be during a pandemic than New Orleans, quite frankly, because uh, we eat well, even in a pandemic, let's face it, at home, we all know how to cook New Orleans style, so... Um, it, it, in some ways, that hasn't been so bad inside. I wouldn't want to be in an apartment staring out at the building across from me in New York right now. Can tell you that. But um, I, I think that um, you're, you're absolutely right about the vitality of our of our cultural scene. I must say, I think that the city is is so much more aware and willing to help. Um, Than has maybe been uh, true in in years past. I mean, I think every mayor that we've had since I've lived here cares about it, and has tried. Um, but I really uh, commend this administration for digging in. However, I think that it's it's without a doubt that we still, on the nonprofit side, where most of us, a lot of us, work trying to make things happen, um, we don't have the resources we need, and and. Um, and what we do is really try to work hand in glove with our creatives and, and help them along. So, yeah, I think this uh, campaign we're in right now, I mean, this isn't the first year it's been done, but it's its uh, one of the most important and, uh, and also particularly important because of the new administration at the federal level with the Biden administration and them talking about infrastructure and what's being called soft infrastructure. I hope that they will see the creatives in our economy as um, part of that soft infrastructure. So I think it's really critical for us right now to really put the pressure on and, and stay alert and look for ways that we can be a part of um, what Biden is talking about at the national level. So that's another reason why I think this is a very critical moment, not just because we've suffered so much this past year, but because that whole thing is is full potential opportunity.
3: Well, I, I agree, I agree. I think you beautifully stated.
0: Chuck Perkins, you are uh, one of my um, favorite creatives. Uh, You know, the first time I ever met you was um, over there in the Musicians Union during those early days right after the uh, Katrina, and and you did um, some spoken word uh, work, and I was just floored by it, as you know, and have looked to uh, experience it. Um, more and more as I can. Do you have maybe some closing words for us right now? Have you been writing anything lately? Do you want to just give us a little taste of your your beautiful um, speaking skills?
3: <laughs> um,
0: that's, not, that's not putting you on the spot or anything, <laughs> right?
3: If your American dream is painted on a canvas neatly folded in the corner of Norman Rockwell's mind, New Orleans is a hurricane beating down your coast. But if you close your eyes and feel the easy ride of the St. Charles streetcar, where solo tuba blows the scent of magnolias down narrow streets and everyone plays possum with the heat and no one's too big or too small to paint their tongue with a snowball. Where former slaves pay homage to the first Americans by masking in suits of rhinestones and bright colored feathers that turn carpenters into Indian chiefs doing rain dances on Go square where the drums drum and the wine drink, and the big chief saying Somebody give me a quarter. Cause pretty big chief wants some water. If you can envision the souls of yesterday living in the music that rises from the cracks in the sidewalk, then New Orleans is your dream with the heart as soft as the Spanish moss dripping from centuries old oak trees. She's a pretty face with dirty feet, the good witch of Lake Pontchartrain, and the spice god of shrimp and crawfish keeping the spirits fed. Communities of windowless monuments masquerading as cemeteries, tower above ground, bird the worms to cover the flesh, no silver bullets to turn turn out the spirits that still dance with her so twirl your umbrella and wave your bandana. It's carnival time and everybody's happy. Armed with the blueprints of civilization, the new world stormed in with enough cement and asphalt to move on back to Paris, and the spirit of the swamp still hasn't submitted, leaving mildewed kisses of disapproval on everything far into the wetlands. Catholicism could not turn out the spirit of Marie Laveau. The wrecking ball did not turn out the spirit of Storyville. And death could not turn out the spirit of Louis Armstrong. When yesterday hangs on to forever, tradition is a temple.
0: And that is what I'm talking about. And that is what New Orleans talks about. And that was Chuck Perkins. Chuck, thank you so much. Keep it up and uh, stay in touch. Let us know what you're up to. All, all, right,
3: all right. All right. Thank, thank you, me.
0: everybody, for listening. This is Jean Nathan, your host for Crosstown Conversations on WBOK.